Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausage. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Hi, this is Małgorzata Barinkowska, your host, and you're listening to episode 96 of podcast, recorded and produced by me in Toronto. This is the last episode of podcast before Christmas and the last one this year, 2023. The world has unfortunately changed drastically since we last wished you Merry Christmas on podcast. In December 2022, we were watching with horror the war in Ukraine. Now we have two wars. A new one in the Middle East. Every life lost, every wounded or hurt victim pains me and makes me ask the basic question, why do we humans do it to each other? On the positive note, though, Polls have shown that populism and right-wing nationalism, which is sweeping Europe, is not acceptable anymore in their beloved country. In record numbers, Polish voters in Poland and abroad have elected a progressive coalition. Koalicja Obywatelska, government and huge changes are now being carried out in Poland in every area, media, education, foreign policy, medical care. We keep our fingers crossed and are so proud of a half a million Poles living abroad who participated in making this change possible. Today's episode of podcast, our Christmas episode 2023, will concentrate on two aspects of Christmas time, which are extremely important in this time of the year. Help for those who badly need it, as well as art, music. Both stories I will present to you are heartwarming and so good. And both of today's stories come from Canada, from the city of Edmonton in Alberta, western province of mountains, prairies, desert badlands and vast coniferous forests. Another reason why I've picked these guests is that we are all co-founders of the Democracy Poland Action Committee in Canada, DPAC, which has worked for democracy in Poland for several years and which was very active in the recent election in Poland. There are people who have this unique talent to gather others around them and organize huge campaigns to help those in need, despite seemingly insurmountable difficulties. You may remember the story I presented to you on podcast in episode 87 last year about a campaign which was so amazing that it's almost hard to believe that the gigantic machine worked out And not only did it come to fruition, but it much exceeded the original planned scope. United for Ukraine was the brainchild of two former politicians from Alberta, former deputy premier of the province of Alberta and minister, Thomas Wukashuk, a Pole who immigrated to Canada as a teenage boy, and his former boss, Ed Stelmak, former premier of this western province, a Ukrainian by origin. What they did is they arranged for the largest Boeing 787 Dreamliner of Lot Polish Airlines with Ukrainian refugees on board to fly from Poland to Edmonton, where it never flies, where it was loaded with 30 tons of highly specialized equipment and supplies collected there. And then it flew back with that cargo to Poland from where these precious supplies were transported to Ukraine. In addition, the organizers sent 10 more containers by sea. Not only did the organizers get the lot Polish airlines to donate the airplane, but they also received a donation of 50 tons of jet fuel from Shell, 
and numerous donations from a variety of companies, Alberta fire departments, and hundreds and hundreds of people. Now, when we face the new military conflict in Gaza, Thomas Wukashuk, concerned about thousands of children victims of the war, has initiated another massive campaign. It's called Albertans United for the Children of Gaza. Its goal is to collect supplies for innocent kids and send them to Gaza. I'm talking about this campaign to Thomas Wukashuk, whom I reach in Edmonton. Tomek, I want to talk about um, something that's going on in Edmonton. It's not the first time that you're helping. Edmonton seems to be a special place in the sense that you guys always organize huge, huge, humongous campaigns to help others. And it's Christmas time and it's also New Year, so I thought this should inspire others. Let's talk about what you're doing right now. You are the person that started it, that initiated this wonderful campaign. Well, I I initiate things and then it takes hundreds of volunteers to actually make this happen. Um, but it uh, it was built upon our experience from the United for Ukraine uh, fundraiser. As you know, we, we very quickly mobilized and we raised about $35 million worth of medical and other supplies for Ukraine. And we had a airlift and some 16 containers went there. Um, so now this conflict arose in Gaza, obviously uh, a very polarizing conflict, uh, much different than the one in, in Ukraine. But what became really abundantly obvious to me is that, uh, you know, adults can fight, they can fight wars and they can take sides and and, and have political arguments, but children are usually caught right in the middle of it. And they they didn't choose to be born in Gaza. They didn't choose uh, any political options. They simply are innocent little kids who are just getting bombed, literally. Over 7,000 children died since the beginning of the conflict. Um, so to me, it was obvious that that we need to sort of put together a, an effort that's nonpartisan, that focuses exclusively on children and their moms. So call went out to action, much like with the Ukrainian initiative. And I cannot give you a dollar value right now, but we have at least a couple of containers of supplies already in our warehouse, baby food, diapers, wipes, uh, food supplements, children's clothing, children's hygiene items, toothbrushes, toothpaste, uh, feminine hygiene products, and and, and things like blankets and things to uh, make kids more comfortable. Edmontonians um, just came in fast and furious and started delivering goods. Let's first talk a little bit about how long it's been going on. Today is 18. We started probably around the 5th or 6th that the call went out. Uh, we secured a storefront where people could deliver, and we collected for two days actively. Uh, we now sorted our goods, and uh, we will be putting in one more call for, for additional supplies uh, to make sure that we have at least two full containers. But the response was very, very fast. Again, we had a continuous lineup of cars. Uh, and trucks and people dropping off um, everything that we asked for. Uh, we also had a, a business, a clothing store that went out of business and, and they had surplus clothes that had nothing to do with children's clothes. So they donated a whole bunch of uh, brand new children's clothing. So you've collected everything or you're still you're still planning to collect a little bit more? We still will be collecting more because we want to make sure that we don't send any half-empty containers. And we, we think we're nearing two containers, uh, sea cans, but, but so we will put out one more call and collect a little bit more. Probably next week. We're sorting right now and, and trying to figure out how much we have. And we want to be a little bit quicker than with Ukraine because the situation over there is just deplorable. So we want to get it. Uh, deliver it to Egypt as soon as humanly possible. So we we won't prolong it. We won't have any long fundraisers. We just want to fill a couple of containers and ship them. Mm-hmm. And how are you organizing this whole you know logistics of making sure it gets there? Because as we know, it's very difficult to get any yeah. into Gaza. You're right. It's it, that's the most difficult part. So I'm working with our Canadian embassy, uh, Ambassador Dupont. Uh, our Canadian ambassador in Egypt, uh, in Cairo, is is just phenomenal, and his team. Uh, they're putting us together with NGOs um, in Egypt that that have expertise at getting um, uh, humanitarian aid across um, the Egyptian uh, Palestinian border. Um, we are now discussing it with UNICEF. We're discussing with with Red Crescent, which is an affiliate of Red Cross. 
Um, so we will use uh, a charity that that is in best position to to deliver it. Fingers crossed. But when we were shipping stuff to Ukraine, there was no guarantee that Russians won't intercept it. The fact is that you just can't allow this to stop you. You just do your best. You raise uh, everything that's needed over there and ship it and just hope that it falls into the right hands. Uh, tell me a little bit about who these people that donate are, right? Do you, do you see the same faces, the same people that were involved in the huge Ukrainian campaign? From volunteer side, I have my core of uh, of, our, of my Polish friends with the Polish Canadian Historical Society. They they are quite experienced at, at working in a warehouse and sorting. So they are helping out, which is so nice to see. But from a donor side, it's it's um it's a cross section of Edmontonians. Obviously, uh, people of Middle Eastern origin uh, are dominant uh, in the group of donors. But but we had quite a cross section of of Edmontonians, and even uh, to my content, uh, we had members of the Jewish community show up. You know, they may have political views, but but also they are humanitarians, and they don't want to see children suffer. How do people comment on it? Do they see this campaign as taking sides? in the conflict, or is it possible to show it as, as purely humanitarian? We're hoping that it is received that way. Judging by the turnout of, of volunteers and those who donated, I think it is received just in that spirit. Uh, it's meant to be um, received that way. Um, if there are those who think that this is somehow partisan and taking sides, uh, they haven't been vocal, not at least to me. Unlike with the Ukrainian fundraiser, I took some precautions, thinking that there may be protests or, or some pushback. I notified the Edmonton Police Services, but none of that intervention was required. You know, rational individuals can differentiate taking a side in a political or a military conflict uh, from helping children. And this drive is is definitely aimed at children. If we were to put out a call like we did for Ukraine, where we even were sending bulletproof vests from from police services and 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 other emergency type of paramilitary equipment, then I imagine the reaction would be different. Um, but because we're sending diapers um, and and women's uh, personal hygiene products and 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 things of that nature and baby formula, there isn't that suspicion that this is somehow in any way choosing one side or the other. That's a wonderful, wonderful campaign. That's amazing that you are actually using your connections with Canadian embassy in Egypt. This is where a shout out needs to go out. Uh, you know, Global Affairs Canada, or, or otherwise known as uh, Foreign um, Ministry of Foreign Affairs Office, is phenomenal. We we have some great diplomats out there. Um, I worked with Ukraine. I worked with Poland. I worked with Germany and many other countries on a variety of projects. And I tell you. I always have a lot of respect for them. First of all, they are very professional. Our diplomats are usually from from the ministry with extensive experience in foreign affairs, and they tend to be very helpful. So if you ever run into a, a Canadian diplomat, um, you know, say thank you to them because they represent us well and they make Canada look really, really good over there. Poland hopefully may learn something from this. And with this new government, some of our diplomats all over the world will be a little better. Let's hope so. And that's, you know, that's the difference between political appointments and, and appointing career diplomats. Uh, these uh, diplomats of ours, by and large, have worked in the Foreign Affairs Office for, for decades before they became consuls or, or ambassadors. And, and they, they know the landscape. They understand the politics. They have great um, connections. So when I reached our embassy in Cairo, they immediately knew which NGOs on the ground are possibly of assistance. And also those NGOs respond to your emails immediately, knowing that Canadian embassy is involved. So um, so we often tend to underestimate our um, global positioning uh, in geopolitics, but but we are a soft power. And, and when people see a Canadian embassy, they pay attention. I wanted to ask you also about what's happening in the West, in Edmonton, demonstrations on, on the streets. Do you see that? People supporting Palestinians and supporting Israel. And is there any conflict? Well, our Palestinian community is organizing marches and, and protests in front of the Edmonton City Hall and in front of the Alberta legislature and other places. Um, but they're rather peaceful in nature. Um, the turnout is phenomenal. Um, and even though the Palestinian community is not that large, um, they are supported by other Canadians of, 
of Middle Eastern origin, but but also by Canadians of, of all origins. They are having turnouts of up to 10,000 people at, at each demonstration, and they have the number of them. But I have to stress, they have been very peaceful. Uh, I don't recall any any arrests or any issues with uh, with law enforcement. Um, our Jewish community, unfortunately, is more so fear-stricken. There is an uprising of Islamophobia and, and anti-Semitism, obviously, across Canada, and, and that is uh, unfortunate. Um, so there is a fear in the Jewish community. Law enforcement is providing additional security for synagogues and, and other Jewish uh, cultural centers, and I'm hoping that none of that help will ever be needed. Unfortunately, when when political conflicts occur abroad, they tend to play themselves out in, in countries like ours, where we have people of a variety of origins. And, and a lot of people are really vested in different positions, on particularly on this issue. And their feelings are valid on, on both sides. And, uh, and and let's hope that actions like, like the one that I'm originating will be a way of bringing people together. Uh, and saying, look, uh, we, we may have to agree to disagree on certain issues, but while this conflict goes on, we as Canadians, uh, not hyphenated Canadians, but as Canadians, uh, can do something together um, to improve the situation. And it's just so unfortunate that we, we now live uh, at a point in history where these conflicts are arising and... Uh, I have a feeling that my volunteers will be busy for a while. I think one of the very important things, and I think something like that is happening in Manitoba and some other places, is to to organize some sort of educational movement where people would understand that we should really be very careful and we should never let this happen. Like, okay, whatever the conflicts are in the world, this should not ever uh, result in aggression or, or violence against our fellow Canadians. This country is very special. I mean, having over 200 ethnic groups means, obviously, that some people somewhere will be at war, in conflicts, but I think it's so important that it is never imported here. Violence against kids at schools just because they're Jewish or because they're Palestinian or because they are, they're from the Middle East is, is a disaster. And those things usually don't play themselves out here until an actual armed com- conflict arises abroad, right? So th- there has always been obviously strain between Palestine and Israel, both relevant to Gaza and West Bank. When there is an actual armed conflict, when people are dying and those are family members, this tends to agitate the relationships here in Canada. And, and we had some, you know, unfortunate situations. Uh, there, you know, there there is fear. And, and I'm sensing that fear also in, in the Muslim community. Islamophobia has been on a rise. And unfortunately, individuals who are not party to this conflict, neither Jewish nor Arab or, or Palestinian, tend to utilize these conflicts to get their political agendas across. So, for example, individuals right now who are against immigration, uh, ultra-right-wing xenophobes who believe that uh, good old Canada means um, white Christian people, and that's all we should have in this country, they prey on these conflicts because this gives them an opportunity to say, aha, see, we shouldn't be allowing Muslims into this country or Jews or or Poles or others because all it is is trouble. So I fear more, actually, uh, violence and retribution and, and misuse of these conflicts by third parties who are simply monopolizing and capitalizing on this um, and agitating. That's just unfortunate. But again, we live in an era of populism right now, and, and there are very strong international forces that are, A, contributing to these conflicts, agitating because it is in their best interest to see division in the world. And then when it happens, they, they tend to capitalize on it. But don't you think that Canada being a, a rather special country in the sense of how diverse we are, Shouldn't we have, and I'm not sure who should start it, whether this should be Ministry of Education or somebody else, or should it be grassroots, that we should really talk a lot more about this, trying to keep our wonderful, open society tolerant. We should not allow certain things to happen, because once we allow them in, once we allow violence, once we allow allow all kinds of negative feelings towards fellow Canadians. We're not talking about what's going on out there. You can have your strong feelings, but you should never be allowed to express those feelings in a violent way towards somebody who is also a citizen or permanent resident of the country. 
Now, I'll tell you something that that is very um, self-deprecating because I, I'll tell you as a former teacher and former education minister and, and particularly social studies teacher, I, I think our education system has failed Canadians. My first proposal would be that this whole subject of social studies needs to be scrapped and, and we need history, we need geography and we need civics as three separate classes with a much more in-depth curriculum. Most Canadians uh, who are not from the Middle East, sadly, don't quite understand the nature of this conflict, the history of this conflict, how far back it goes, uh, and why we are where we are today. And that doesn't only apply to to, um, Israel and Palestine, but that applies to Ukraine and Russia, that applies to Syria and Lebanon and China that are potential uh, places of conflict. So that's one thing. Second thing is... uh, I think because we are this special blissful country that that we never really had a war fought on our turf, we haven't as individuals, as 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 Canadians, paid attention to um to, to geopolitics and, and how we are susceptible to foreign actors like Putin, for example, how our politicians and our political parties not only can be but actually are manipulated. Uh, by foreign players. Um, how is it that this populism all of a sudden swept the United States and now is sweeping um, our Canadian politics? And, and how does it relate to what's happening in, in Europe and um, particularly in Russia and Central and Eastern Europe? All of that is co-related. There are common roots for all this. Um, but we, we, we tend to be very busy driving our kids to hockey games. Life is good, even though we think life is more expensive and we complain about inflation, but in general, life in Canada is safe and good. And we know we will wake up tomorrow and and there won't be a war uh, or any particular strife. Um, So perhaps we became a little bit out of tune, a a little bit uh, desensitized to um, how we are part of this world. We're not an island. and, And how it affects our lives and our politicians. And why is it that Certain politicians in Canada, word for word, say exactly the same thing that Donald Trump is saying, which happens to be the same thing that Putin says, except in Russian. You know, why Why the divisions that we're experiencing right now is exactly what Poland is going through? Why is Putin talking uh, all of a sudden, as of yesterday, about Moldova as a republic of Russia? Um, you know, where is this language coming from? Why is our former Prime Minister Harper a chairman of a group called UDI? And what is this group all about? Um, why are radical ultra-right wing parties from across the world members of this uh, group? Those are things that we just don't talk about because we don't need to, because we are so privileged and safe in this country. Um, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, that, that will change. Unfortunately, um, we cannot afford to be innocent anymore, and, and we need to engage more. And I think one way of engaging it, uh, Canadians is, is through a revamped curriculum. Um, but another one is, is start reading newspapers um, and start doing a little bit of research. And I'm not talking online research. You know, read three reputable newspapers from across the world. Listen to reputable news networks. Uh, start believing what journalists, those who actually study journalism, uh, those who spend their entire life studying geopolitics, um, those who are simply uh, giving up their life to inform us, who have no vested interests one way or the other, uh, what they are saying. Um, and, and then perhaps uh, we will have a, a better understanding of these conflicts. And, uh, and, and as Canadians say, look, uh, it's happening out there. We will make sure that our political system um, is not infected by it. Um, but at the same time, we can do a lot of good in the world. And, you know, this initiative is, is just, just one of them. Um, I talk to my Jewish friends. I work with B'nai B'rith on, on projects, and I have now Palestinian friends, and, and I hear them out. And, and both of them have valid arguments, sometimes not very well historically anchored arguments, but but um, I understand their emotions because... Their, their country, men and women and children and friends and family are dying. And, and that's what creates more radicalism. But I think if we could have an educated conversation, knowing the facts, knowing history, um, this would be a, a different world. Thank you for this conversation. And Thank you. 
Most of all, thank you for, for this incredible amount of good job that you're doing with other people. And I'm happy that some Polish people, Polish Canadians are also part of it. And, and I think this is also a good way of building communities because uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, next year uh, our Polish people will be invited to a breaking of the fast during Ramadan. And maybe some of our Muslim friends will come to our Christmas events. And, and that's, you know, so I, I hope that there are long lasting relationships that will develop. Thank you very much. Thank you. What can we say? A huge thank you and congratulations on making the seemingly impossible possible. We are staying in Western Canada, in Edmonton, Alberta. As you have learned from Thomas Wukashuk, Edmontonians are people with big hearts. They are also great fans of arts. Joanna Czapka-Sagster, a musician, radio broadcaster in Edmonton, Nasze Radio Canada, is an award-winning violinist with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra and her own Obsessions Octet, which played at Carnegie Hall. Joanna talked a lot about Christmas music, carols and songs in podcast Christmas episodes in previous years. Uh, you can find all the links in the description of the current episode on our website, mypodcast.com. This time, we're talking about her work as a musician in Edmonton. We reached Joanna in Edmonton, Alberta. So you have been very busy this year, right? In your work for the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. So every time I call you or I text mm -hmm. you, either in rehearsals or you've just left for the concert. Tell me, how many of these concerts have you played this year? So that's so interesting because uh, when we work, we work. We work like crazy. And uh, what makes it um, unbelievable is that we do not have a set schedule. Uh, so we do, in a way, because we all work on contract, uh, which means we are uh, contracted to play 291 services. And uh, service is both a rehearsal and a concert. Mm. And those are spread out throughout 10 months. There's no uh, two the same weeks. That's why it, it feels like uh, we are stepping on the thin ice because every time I have to look in my book or schedule to make sure that uh, when is rehearsal, what time, because times change. Also, the series we play when I started working at the Edmonton Symphony, which was now will be close to 30 years next year, <laughs> I won the audition and uh, became member of the first violin section. I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? Because uh, within one week, we could play two, three different uh, series of concerts, uh, series meaning like we have main series, which is a master series. Uh, those are typical classical concerts, which is overture, symphony, and a, so a solo concerto. Then we have lighter classics. Then we have midweek classics. Then we have uh, Baroque-style concerts. We have educational concerts. We also, because we are only one professional orchestra in Edmonton, we also um, play operas and ballets. We play rock concerts, jazz concerts, um, specials. <laughs> I mean, this is just like, uh, and and I think first five or even up to 10 years, uh, I was freaked out every concert <laughs> and uh, had to prepare and practice. I still prepare and practice, but because I've been playing for so many years, we repeat, of course, uh, the programs and more you play, better you become. Um, I became way so much better side reader and uh, that also helps and switching from style to style is so easy and now after all those years I have to say that I think this is the best job in the world because of the variety so we are not stuck to play only one kind of music, not just the opera. I mean, it's so beautiful in Europe. I admire Europe for their respect to culture and how much money they have and spend because they know how important that is. But if you play an opera uh, orchestra, that's all you play. If you play in a symphony, you play 90% of symphonic music, maybe twice a year, some pop concerts. But what we have here, 
I think is the best. <laughs> I admire your incredible versatility. I'm not even mentioning your side love, which is your octet. Yeah, obsession is octet. Have you ever counted, if you looked at, at one year, how many different kinds of shows and how many different kinds of concerts you have done? Oh, my gosh. You know, I have uh, one friend, my dear friend, cello player, who exactly, that's what she does. She counts. She knows how many services we played in the last two months and how many, too many, because there are certain <laughs> rules set by the union that we are only allowed to play let's say exactly nine services a week, for instance. So we can only have two services a day and then we have to have a break. To answer your question, I really wish I could. But let's say on the classical concerts, as I mentioned, we play three big pieces. But on a pop concert, we play 20 different tunes, right? So I think it's it's in thousands, well, actually. Now, when we talk music and it's just before Christmas, then how many Christmas concerts have you mm. done this season? Okay, let me count. I have my book here. We already played uh, four concerts only with Christmas music, which were called uh, Family Christmas and uh, consisted of pieces that are... Uh, semi-classical uh, old British Christmas carols, cr Christmas songs, Greensleeves, which is related to Christmas, for instance. But we also, part of every Christmas season, we play Messiah. And those concerts are very important and they happen all the time. And we play Nutcracker. So uh, usually there is about uh, between six to eight performances of Nutcracker. And uh, three uh, concerts of Messiah. It's incredible because we all know that Messiah is coming. <laughs> it sounds funny, actually. Messiah is coming. <laughs> but uh, this is one of the hardest concerts of the year because the whole oratorio takes about three hours. It's constant playing for violins. And it's good uh, just almost two and a half hours of music that we play all the time. Also, in the beginning of December, we already played a Christmas concert with Baroque Orchestra, Alberta Baroque Ensemble, which I'm also a member of for close to 30 years. Uh, that's also one of my favorite things to do. Uh, we have about five concert series in a season and between uh, symphony orchestra. And if, if we are lucky, we do not have arrangements of Christmas music in Obsessions Octet yet. Obsessions Octet is uh, my kind of baby. It's a crossover ensemble uh, between classical and jazz. And that's what you do with your husband and your friends. That's right. Yeah. It's very hard to organize. Uh, we were put on hold as everything else, everybody else during pandemic and i have to say uh, living in the, in a city like edmonton um, which is so remote it feels so remote from everywhere um the market is really small for ensemble like ours because either you come up constantly with different music there is very limited places where you can perform and how many times a year you can play concerts for to the same audience. So for years, uh, the biggest excitement and the greatest way for us to progress uh, were tours. But to organize, just imagine, tour from Edmonton for eight people. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning and lots of money. The last one was planned for 2020. We had our third tour planned to Europe. And since then, because of COVID being still around, I don't know if we'll be able to do it again because we travel in a van once we are there. If something happens, then we have concerts planned for every day or sometimes twice a day. And if one of us is unable to, to be with us, then it's impossible. Have you tried like touring Western Canada? Yes, we did uh, tours of Alberta. Yes, that's that's still possible, of course. You have played already a whole bunch of, of Christmas concerts. Are there still any awaiting you? Is there anything played after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year for the symphony orchestra? 
We still have some concerts left this week, which is the last week before Christmas. And I have to tell you, we play two concerts on December 23rd. <laughs> so Christmas Eve will be very interesting this year for me. And then all those years until COVID, uh, we had two weeks off from Christmas to after New Year's. But since COVID, things changed. And I think... Uh, change is good for everything. So now, for the last couple of seasons, we do have concert after Christmas, and it's a family-oriented concert where we, when we play movie music, but from movies that came out around Christmas, so like Home Alone, and it's just not the end yet. And then uh, we play also a New Year's concert, which is called Salut to Vienna. And Salut to Vienna concerts uh, came to Canada over 25 years ago. I was lucky to play in the very first one. I have to say that this is another love of mine. I love Viennese music. That kind of music I fell in love already being a student. And uh, when you studied in Poland in my times, uh, anything other than classical music was forbidden. It was uh, frowned upon as being something less classy. So you didn't need to study music to, to be able to play play it. And I think I completely disagree with this idea. And uh, I learned myself how to play this music because it's not so easy. It's a different style. Again, you have to be able to switch uh, from classical music to, to gypsy music, to salon music, which... Uh, Viennese music requires to be able to to play properly. So we do play Salut to Vienna, which is a great event and great pleasure for me. Always full house. And it's funny, it's a different audience. Lots of Europeans. This is the only concert when I see in the audience a lot of familiar faces because Polish people come to those concerts. Is there anybody else who's Polish in your orchestra or are you the only one? Right now, I'm the only one. But there was time that there were four of us, four musicians, plus conductor. We did have a music director, Grzegorz Nowak. He came at the end of 90s. Another violinist, uh, oboe player, uh, principal oboe, and a French horn player and conductor. So we were also by some called Polish Mafia. <laughs> what happened? They retired, Małgosiu. Maybe one or two sentences about the radio. Your radio is now, what, three years old? Will be, two oh. and a half, that's right. Mm -hmm. Do you pay a lot of attention to your, in your shows and your weekly programs to music? Oh, yes. That's uh, something I'm very proud of because uh, I can see how it's getting better and better every week with every show. I am so grateful because for all those years that uh, I left Poland, I lost touch with true Polish music market. However, I always kept in touch because I would go back and play. And I have lots of uh, friends who are musicians. So uh, one way or the other, we would keep in touch so I would know what they are doing. But now when I just I have to find music to show every week, it's so beautiful, uh, satisfying. I try to find music that kind of describes the the subject and the certain reflections, different segments of our program. I love eclectic music, so I try to put their different styles. Always something that is current, that is new. I am amazed how many great new singers, uh, new artists are coming and are on the Polish pop market. It's great. And they're really high level. And not to mention the jazz musicians. They're coming from nowhere. Everyone seems to be better and better. So it's a great pleasure for me. Every program is also discovery. We have three different um, genres of music, uh, like uh, regular uh, segments so that we alternate. Uh, one is classical, which I'm host of. And another is Jazz Pirina, which is uh, jazz music, very current. And Big Beat Music, which is done by Martin Jakobson, who is a radio veteran. And he actually remembers himself uh, lots of artists that he's presenting from kind of rock and roll, Big Beat Music. Music is a big part 
of the show. We're getting lots of compliments in that area. Your next show uh, falls on Christmas Eve, right? Because it's Sunday. Minimum words, a maximum of Christmas music, which is so beautiful. And again, jazz, Christmas, uh, Polish carols, uh, American Christmas music. It's just so much, so much of it, right? But I think we'll have some lovely discussions, reflections. So yes, it will be interesting. But of course, majority will be Polish carols. Then, then it's available on our Facebook, which is Nasze Radio Canada. Mm, easy to find. I've never been to Edmonton, as you call it, a distant place. But I can imagine that it's very important for people there, probably where you do this, this work for your symphony orchestra. Edmonton is one of the most vibrant uh, art uh, centers in Western Canada, also because of the fact that we are so remote. We are so far from all the attractions, uh, mountains, ocean, all the disruptions. And we also have very harsh climate, right? So people who want to be together tend to take care of those occasions when they can get together which is, you know, go to church, get organized as your community and take care of the arts. And I think it's very touching. Edmonton is the most progressive place <laughs> in Alberta, actually. What I would like you to do now is to dedicate some Christmas music to podcast listeners. Oh, I will do. I am a Highlander by my dad's side. I have a special place uh, in my heart for Highlanders music. Always gives me goosebumps. And this, I have quite a few CDs of, with uh, Highlanders version of uh, uh, Christmas music. And there's one uh, group in particular. They're called Trebunie Tutki. Uh, I would recommend this one tune. It's called Dnia Jednego Opunocy. It sounds so familiar. It's based on um, the melody of one of our also favorite Polish carols, Lulajze Jezuniu. And it's completely different rhythm, completely different feel, as Highlanders can do it. They can turn everything into completely different event. But I highly recommend it. It's really close to my heart. So we're going to listen to this Highlanders version of Lulajze Jezuniu. Thank you so much, Joasha. All the best to you. You just like make my heart warm before Christmas. Like we've we've already done it before, but it's always a great pleasure. And I learned something about Edmonton today. So I'm very happy that for you guys, art and music is so important. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to your listeners and all the best. Thank you. Thank you, Małgosiu. Uh, so um, on behalf of entire team and listeners of Nasze Radio Canada. I would love to wish you and all the listeners of podcast all the best, good health and lots of uh, events, mostly good. <laughs> Peace on earth, I think that's what we Peace need. Peace on earth, exactly. Thank you, Mogoshu.
find more information about Joanna's work and links on podcast website mypodcast.com. If you're interested in what's written about Poland in English, online articles published in many countries by many media outlets, they're posted daily on Polcast Facebook. Unfortunately, they're not visible to Canadian Facebook users due to Canada's Bill C-18. Now, this bill requires big tech companies, Meta and Google, to compensate media organizations if they want to continue to host Canadian news content on their platforms. Meta, the owner of Facebook, blocked Canadians from posting and seeing news links. So you can see our podcast links only if you view them from outside Canada. Let me take this opportunity to thank all podcast listeners and our kind donors. We love you all. For a lot of additional information, multimedia links, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. And while you're there, please share your comments, your reactions, and suggest ideas. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app. I wish you all a Merry Christmas, Polish or whatever style, or Happy Holidays if you do not observe Christmas. I wish you a warm, restful Christmas, full of beauty and good feelings. Christmas is not about getting exhausted while cleaning and cooking. It's not about rushing frantically through stores or spending hours on Amazon in search of gifts. We only have so many Christmases in our lives. And they never return while they're over. So, spend this time with those you love. Don't forget to contact people who are maybe waiting to hear from you. Remember about others around who are less fortunate than you are. Make time for memories. Look at old photos. Maybe read some old letters. Light a candle for those who departed. I wish you also a good New Year. Three H's. Health, happiness and hope. And peace, peace wherever we are. It's actually all that matters. Podcast and I will be back again in January 2024. And the last piece of music I want to leave you with in this episode comes from a CD without which I cannot imagine my Christmas. Święta Kolendą Przyproszone. It's an album that was recorded many years ago. It's unique in its arrangements of the well-known Christmas music by my most talented friend, Magda Papish, a Toronto cabaret artist, singer and teacher, and Ola Turkiewicz, an artist who, after many years, returned to Poland, where she now lives and performs. She is the composer of our podcast jingles. Thank you so much. The kids' voices you hear are the young students of Mavo Academy of Arts and Music. They were students at the time, taught by Magda Papiesz and other Polish-Canadian cabaret and stage artists. They are now adults, and thanks to that incredible education in Mavo School, they have become mature performing artists. So, enjoy this beautiful music and... Wesołych Świąt i Szczęśliwego Nowego Roku!
Oh, oh, oh.